This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Consulting, leading experts for assessing and transforming management, sales, culture, and team performance. Learn more at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Manage Smarter Podcast. I'm Audrey Strong, the Director of Communications for Sales Fuel, and... I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of Sales Fuel, and I have my Executive Leadership Certificate from Cornell University. Yep, and sitting at the table with us, we are so lucky to have a little bit of this man's time, Samuel Backrack. Sam, how are you? Thanks for coming. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with Sam, he has got a book that just came out in July of this year. It's Transforming the Clunky Organization, Pragmatic Leadership Skills for Breaking Inertia. Sounds good to me. And uh, the Agenda Mover is out as well, When Your Good Idea is Not Enough. Um, Sam is the McKelvey Grant Professor at Cornell University, where he is on the faculty in and the previous chair of the Department of Organizational Behavior. And by the way, kind of a busy guy, author and editor of more than than 25 books and has published more than 100 academic articles. Thank you for coming. Boy, we're going to pick your brains. You ready? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. Lee, I think you wanted the first question. Well, so uh, one of the things I remember uh, from, from taking some of your coursework at Cornell, I thought that it, you, you were really exceptional at laying out uh, the idea of moving an agenda, but also uh, I, I'm also thinking about a big part of that is, you know, like when you watch uh, Survivor on TV, it's all about to move your agenda and win the game, you have to build alliances. So could you talk a little bit about that uh, from, your first, from, from your second book? Well, let, let, let's just talk for a moment about the implication of what, what you ju- we just talked about, because um, let me take a back step. Pack door okay, towards our, and let's take a high level, because there's a reason, you know, when you just say moving agendas, um, it comes off, okay, but, but think about organizations, think of any, any type of institutions, anything. You know, we spent an awful lot of time worrying about ideation and coming up with great ideas. I mean, I'm a great admirer of what people like Kelly do, and I got, God knows they're brilliant and coming up with ideas. But, you know, the truth of the matter, if you go to major corporations in this country, you know, somebody I tell people, give me 15 Cornell undergraduates, lock me up in a room, and I'll come up with another 30 ideas. The question isn't simply coming up with the ideas. Mm-hmm. The question is moving the ideas through the organizations. So on a certain level, what I, when I think about leadership, I don't think, I think about what does it take to execute? You know, years ago we had this book out that's execution. Sometimes I wonder, did that really deal with execution? What does it really mean to execute an organization? And to me, what do we want from our leaders? Fundamentally, we want our leaders to move ideas forward. Mm-hmm. And my basic mm-hmm. premise, certainly in the first volume in the agenda mover, is to do that you've got to have a degree of political competence. You have to have a deep understanding of how to mobilize people, get them on your side. If you look at today's organizations, that's absolutely critical. If you think that in today's organizations, great ideas come to the surface simply because of meritocracy, because I'm one idea is better than the other idea, mm-hmm. then you live in a different world than I do. I know that in fact, in large organizations, more often that great ideas succeed, but if they don't have the political clout behind them, they never see a surface. So creating alliances 
understanding, anticipating people, understanding where resistance is, developing the core skills that are necessary, knowing who you're dealing with, uh, knowing who's who, knowing what the agendas are, other, developing specific critical political skills is essential. Think of our leadership right now. What do we want from our leaders countrywide? We want those skills. For God's sake, when we look to, forgive me, we look to Washington, what are we screaming? Get something done. Yeah. That's what we're saying. When we look at our organizations, what do we want from our leaders? Don't sit there, get something done, move the ideas, compete. And for that, they've got to be political smart. So your question of alliances is a core element of what I think is a bigger question. Do leaders have the political skills? You know, I'll just add with one more point. We talk a lot of high potentials, people that know the business. I never go in an organization making believe I know their business. But, you know, often you can have brilliant ideas, brilliant engineers, and when you promote them from high potentials to leading, what you want them to have is that political competence to, to create alliances to move ideas. So when you're forming an alliance, you break down uh, stakeholders into, into several different categories or archetypes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, basically, my whole notion of trying to, trying to actually deal with the stakeholders, asking, what do you really want? Who do you really need in your corner? Who do you really, how who do you mobilize? I sort of break them down to uh, four types. And first of all, we have the relatively conservative ones, the traditionals and the adjusters. You know, those people that have been around for a while, the approach piece incrementally. Now, for example, the traditionalists sort of lean back in the way the organization did say, look, I've been at, in my organization for more years than some of you've been alive. So a young person comes in and my thing will say, yeah, back in 1929, <laughs> right after the big war, we did things this way. We tried it once before. You know that type of line. Mm, you know, sure. when people are sort of telling you, but traditionalists can also be young people. And, and, in, the, and in a context, we have get people that are justice. They go to you and say, you know, we'll deal with it. When the crisis comes along, we'll deal with it one step at a time. So well, you cluster those two and you get relatively conservative approach in organizations. And, and, I, and I deal with this in much more detail in the volume and break up its cognitive structures. But then you think about developers. Think about developers. Uh, you know, one of the things I always think about someone like, like, like Bill Gates. I mean, exactly. you know, we all debate was he a genius. No, but he was able to integrate a lot of ideas, put them together. Developers are those that have plans that can move it ahead, et cetera, but take elements and move them ahead in the organizations. And then you've got the revolutionaries. You know, the sky is falling and we have to take GE and make it into a finance company. <laughs> or, you know, or we have to, we have all these. And they take us down sometimes wonderful paths. You know, wonderful, great paths, as you can see the, the, right now, you see some of the wonderful sort of paths. For example, Amazon goes for better. If not, you've got some people taking some revolutionary, more moving into the drug industry and the pharmaceutical, et cetera. you got the revolutionaries. Now, what's the point? You have to, in moving agendas, diagnose who you're dealing with, what's the nature of their agenda. I mean, everybody's got categories. The more categories, uh, you know, then you know what to do. And what I try to do in this volume, in the first volume, in the agenda movement, is to get people to focus on it. See, I have to understand what you're coming from. These politically smart people actually begin to analyze, not simply the personality. You know, we're all so hung up on personality. My attitude is you can't win moving anything on the basis of personality. Forget trying to, you know, I'm not a psychoanalyst. 
I'm not your therapist. I can't understand your inner child. What I can understand is how you're playing the game, okay, and how you're doing. And I mean game in a positive way, mm -hmm. all operating for the collective good. So my point is we have to understand where people are coming from. The template that I offer is understand where people are coming from, from the organizations. And these four categories are the core categories. Because what are we debating in the organization? Somebody's screaming, you're moving deck chairs on the Titanic. And somebody else is saying, you don't understand, the world is coming to an end. The bond market is going to crash tomorrow morning. I mean, Let's so, not get too hasty. We don't want to make any rash <laughs> No, I bet that if the bond market collapses tomorrow morning, then I'm charging you for this podcast. Oh, okay. I, my, my, my retirement is in danger. I won't have the any point, money to the, pay you. I'm not an expert on that. But the point is, we have traditionally, we have to understand the core agendas. And we can't just do this in a slight way. We have to really methodically do our homework. When we talk about leaders not doing their homework, they're not understanding where the people come in. Look, if you go even back to some of the political stuff that's going on in our country right now, why are we sometimes stuck on ideas? Because people don't create alliances thinking that every resistor is the same way and every anti we don't look into the micro political stand that each people stand. I mean, as we know, not everyone has the plan political side. What I'm asking and what I'm training people in is to diagnose the agendas deeply rather than sleight of hand. All Republicans like this, all CEOs are like this, all people are like this, or they're like that. Nonsense. Mm -hmm. Things differ from issue to issue, and we gotta get specific about it. Is any one of those four profiles more commonly where good ideas go to die, and then that, therefore you become a clunky organization? Well, I mean, the clunky or... aspect, uh, I'll tell you in a minute, but I don't think that's, uh, I, I think, I think the issue is why this type of political, not political, and I want to say something about political for one second. You know, when I say the word political, some of you uh, get a chill up your back. I, and you know, oh my God, Machiavellian. I've been, no, it's not that. I'm talking about people in organizations that act on behalf of the collective good. We're all, just because I have a different agenda than you do, doesn't mean I don't respect the collective goal of the organization. We disagree. You know, we're debating this in this country all the time. The difference between, the debate here is if we all, in an organization, we always have to assume that we're not corrupt, that we're operating on the collective good. That's number one. Understand that. So why is this becoming very important? It's becoming important because you know, as I said, because of the different nature of organizational structure, in the first volume of the agenda mover, I focus on the political skill. In the clunky organization, I focus on what is the key issues that leaders have to, that, that more complete leadership model has to address. And, and my whole point here is that no one fundamentally, and this is sound like sacrilege to your listeners, but I want to share with your listeners a very small point. You know, I've been in this field for a long time, and we all really happily are concerned about leadership. But folks, just between us, and since no one is listening anyway, I want to share with you, no one cares about leadership, and you know it and I know. What they care about is what leaders get done and what leaders solve. And we can do it without leaders. We do it without leaders, okay? But we need leadership in order to get something done. So the question that I pose is what is the problem in the second volume, in the clunky book, what is the problems that leaders, we want leaders to solve? And that question is most organizations get stuck. And how do leaders move beyond the whole notion of being stuck? You know, when people talk about organizations failing, by the time an organization fails, I don't need a leader, I need an undertaker, mm -hmm. okay? 
I want leadership to deal with organizations that get actually stuck. And that's what the clunky volume does. Why do organizations get stuck? And how do people use the leadership skills that they have to move them ahead? So how do you get unstuck? Well, first let's ask the question why you get stuck. I mean, you get mm-hmm. stuck for two, when we studied organizations and we, you get stuck for two reasons. One, your organizations become clunky. And you know clunky when you say, come on, look, look at GE. I mean, what's the word that comes out when you want to say GE? The word that comes out metaphorically, they're clunky. They've got loose structures. They've got duplicating notions. That, you know, we look at Amazon, we worry, are they growing too quick? False, you know, what's the nature of mergers? And I'm saying Amazon is clunky, but what will happen? Organizations that sprawl because they're growing, because they're, they're mixed merged acquisition policy. On the other hand, you get organizations that become myopic. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, has anyone seen borders around lately? I mean, organizations, you, you know, or has anyone gone to your local blockbusters lately? Or has anyone actually bought a lot of stuff from Kodak lately? I mean, Kodak should be ahead of the game. They become myopic. So they get stuck for two reasons. They get stuck because they're clunky. They get stuck with myopic. Now, that's what we want leaders to avoid. We want leaders to make sure. So my argument is very simple, that the core challenge of leadership is actually to help and make sure that organizations don't get stuck. And that's the argument in the clunky volume. So you, you say you need to then create agility and synergy at the same time to get that's right. out of clunky mode. And so let's say you're just like, a, you are a GE or you are um, not a, what technically a small business definition. It's, it's a monumental task to audit all that and eliminate things and create efficiencies, right? But, but, but this, this is where the whole notion comes off. I mean, uh, you know, the, the instant reaction is, let's take a look at what it means to be clunky. Sometimes a lot of strength to it, right? Because there's a lot of creativity, room for adjustment, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, my, myopic organizations also have a lot of strength because, you know, we're, all, we're, we're caught with these two tendencies. So my whole point is that the challenge, therefore, is first of all, Leaders throughout the organizations have to do two things to make sure this doesn't happen. One, they have to lead for discovery, and two, they have to lead for delivery. And and, and let me just elaborate on this for a second, discovery. Organizations often become sluggish because they're not reading the cues in the environment. That was the Kodak problem. They're not reading weak signals. They're not picking up the cues. In leadership, that's sort of a myopic problem. The leadership sort of focus in. I think we have to train leaders at all levels to pick up and subtle cues. You know, we talk about customer relations. We talk about customer relations at the end, like when we want to sell. I want to talk about customer relations at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Finding out new problems. Finding out where I can partner with the customer. Finding out where I should go. So the first step is you want leaders that can lead, that, 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 that essentially can engage in sort of robust, the robust discovery. And, and, and actually, what I want at that point is this whole notion of leaders that are explorers, that understand the context. Then I want leaders that take these ideas and internally in the organizations can lead for ideation, can take the ideas and develop the teams and take those signals and go to prototypes, and go to prototypes. Great, you picked up the signals, you know, Kodak even picked up the signals. Mm-hmm. But were they able to take it and push it to a prototype? So that takes care of discovery. But once they've done that, big deal. If they can't deliver internally, who cares? So that's where the political stuff comes. At that point, I want them to be political leaders, take the ideas, get support internally. And finally, I want them to be able to sustain the momentum. So what do we want from leaders? 
We wanted to stop the inertia by discovering, by making sure everybody's discovering what's going on, reading the signals, translating the signals into concrete innovations, getting political support and sustaining the momentum. That's all I want from them. They do that, they can go home and have a nice life if I don't concern. I don't want to know. That's transformational, transactional. That's what I want from them. So ideally, you want leaders in to avoid the laboratory pits of getting stuck. But what if you're a leader that inherited a situation where the company is already stuck? How do you get, how do you get unstuck? Simply, in a very simple way, when, when, why do leaders get called to these companies? What you do by, mm -hmm. by beginning to do that is you ask yourself two, two, two very fundamental questions. Do I really One, want this job? <laughs> you know, I, you know, I sometimes talk to these people. As they take, I, I recently had a discussion with a, a, an or, a major organizational CEO, and he asked me, a, a, and, and I, my reaction was, I didn't tell you to take this job. You know what you just asked me? Why be a leader? That's what you simply asked me. Mm -hmm. Why would I even hire someone if my organization wasn't stuck? I would have stayed with the old folks that was there. If I had a great woman that was a great CEO, and then I found another woman that was a great CEO, and, I, and then I got this great guy that's going to be a good CEO, and I was going to pull him in, and I put her in. And why would I transfer all these people? If my organization was not stuck, I spoke to someone recently, and she's a top-level leader, and she came in, and basically, she understood she had two strategies she could do. She can knock heads together, consolidate everything together, or she can sort of let the thing go freely. It also depends on the style. What I suggested when, when in this instance, when, when, I, when I, I talked to her, it was a whole issue. Let's first understand what the environment is about. Let's understand the customers. Let's not jump into assuming we understand anything. Let's read the cues. Let's see where the markets is going. And then think about your ideas, where you want those ideas are going. Bring your own voice. You know, what ideas do you want to keep? What ideas don't you want to keep? What do you want? Throw out the ideas before you throw out the people. And around that, around your notion of discovery, Thank God I was working with someone who's a lot smarter than me in this instance. Around that notion of discovery, then begin to say to yourself, where do I need the political support that I need internally? Where do I go off the board? Who do I need? But don't just go to the board with some plan, whatever. First understand where you want to go and then make sure you're not dropping the ball and go for the momentum. You know, and I've seen many leaders do the exact word or opposite. What they'll do is they'll go in and they'll cut, they'll push, et cetera, right away. Or they'll integrate in the Mr. Point. Begin by understanding your environment. If you're a new leader, your first responsibility is take a deep breath and look around you and pick up the cues. So to that end, then we talk about building alliances. We talked about that earlier. What about counter alliances? And how do we deal effectively with that? You know, the, the, you know for those of you that, uh, that are too young to remember Homer, at least let's hope you saw the movie Troy, but there's the big Trojan horse there question. There it is. Uh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, big Trojan horse question. All right. Um, how do you deal with counter alliances? You know, the truth of the matter is you deal counter alliances. Now, let's just take a look at the counter alliances from a very constructive point of view. In a real sense, in any system, counter alliances have important aspects to them. You have to answer. First of all, give them a chance to be critical and productive. When you see they're being destructive, have the courage to say enough is enough. Sometimes you have to understand where you're going and to actually lead. Courage to confront is part of leadership. There are some people that are just not good at that at all. 
any type of confrontation. And what, so is that uh, something that you should, you know, one of the core skills that you say, uh, besides I, I, being good at politics, you should go out and get better at? Um, and what are some of the other things you should go I, out and get better I, at? I, th I, think, I think when you have a confrontation, I think that there's an issue here, and that is, uh, and you know, we, the subterranean theme this morning that, that I don't want to elaborate on, but the whole idea is what's the difference between confrontation and ego? I, I don't like the word mm. confrontation. I like the word constructive dialogue and, you know, and, and assertiveness. You know, we take this word assertiveness and we associate it with, with gender politics or we associate it with psychology. You know, so assertiveness is something we all need, no matter our backgrounds, no matter who we are, no matter our gender. Assertiveness is something we all have to learn. Great leaders know how to assert with security, without domination, without a sense of ego, with a sense of sincerity and a sense of empathy. That is a learned skill. And mm -hmm. I don't think that that, 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 that that is critical. That is a critical component of leadership for me. Okay, I, I, the word confrontation, I don't think when I, when mm -hmm. I go into the debate, I'm confronting people. Mm -hmm. Assume that the other person is well-intended and then assert your position. Just because they disagree with you doesn't mean they're your enemy necessarily because tomorrow they might be your friend on a different, different point. Uh, I couldn't think of more appropriate words than this morning than possible. Now, you know, it's an issue. We debout that. We, that, that is the civility of leadership. That is the civility of what I'm talking about in organizations. It's the civility of our culture. We are in a culture in which we've always taken great pride in happily disagreeing and then going out together and having a decent time. That's true in organizations. You know, I, I work with people that I disagree with. They tell me, but when these people tell me it's raining outside and I look out and it's totally sunny, you know what I do? I take an umbrella because I know it's going to rain. Even though I disagree in every other place. <laughs> well, um, the book again, the new book. Uh, by the way, this is a series of two or three, right? And um, what, what are you going to do with the third book? I should ask that. So people have something to look it forward to. Once get, but the first the first, the <laughs> if any of you buy the uh, Transforming the Clunky and the Agenda Mover, because if you don't, then, then Cornell Prince <laughs> will never actually renew my contract for the third book. And I'll, Come on, everybody. So go out there, and I, and I appreciate hearing from people. But, and, and, and you know, I, I just like to end on one small note. We all, at all levels of the organization, can learn these skills. This is not just the C-suite. It's the people coming in, the young, young people coming in. It's the high potentials. It's all of us. Organizations succeed where everyone has these skills, not just the CEOs. I think that's very important to understand. It's very important. Don't exclude yourself from leadership. So if I'm a company and I want my leaders to be more pragmatic and I want to reach out to you, what are some of the things you're doing with your own, with your own company, your own firm? Well, we've, we've done uh, uh, quite a bit. We've developed a whole series of training modules around this stuff. We do games. We, I, we give talks. We, we, we've broken up the training into political competence, co teaching people how to, to get beyond clinging. We've actually done an awful lot of training, modulized and training, and we have a bunch of trainers that do that. And we give talks, workshops. We've done that. We've developed online games. I'm sort of very excited at this point, Michael. You know, I spent my entire life being an academic, and you have no idea on the last 10, 12, 14 years, I've learned so much from people like your listeners. You know, you have to immerse yourself in the reality that your listeners are doing that. Now, we've done that for 12 years, and we work for a number of ma major companies, major universities, so we have our own little firms. I mean, when we talk about BLG in the background, that's what we do. 
you know, it's, it's, it's the fund of making the difference. And we work with that. We work with politicians. So we've done a lot of, we go in and we assess the problem. We have our own 360s. We evaluate it. We do the training around this. What we, you know, if you want to know what we do and what we teach, it's one simple. You know how I spell leadership and how we spell leadership how around my firm? With a small L, never with a big L. It's a small L. It's behavior. What we do is we train people in methodical ways. So one thing I learned about training, if you can't give people a list of the 20 things or the six things or whatever they can do, if you can't hang it up on the, on the refrigerator with a magnet, you haven't learned anything. I don't believe in this board learning. We have to give people micro skills, and that's the game we're playing, and that's what we're trying to do. And it's a nice way to uh, be at a latter part of one's career. So. Yeah. I wish everybody out there, anyone, you know, one of the things I tell people, if you're waiting to be bitten by the charisma bug, and that's what you think is going to make you a leader, you know, you know, I'm tired of people thinking charisma is what leadership is about. No, leadership is about getting stuff done and understanding on a micro level what it takes. You know, look at some of our leaders. I mean, I don't mean to be offensive, but if you take a look at some of our high-tech leaders and other people, you think these are some of the most charismatic people you've seen? Please, save me but they knew how to move agendas. And each one of you out there in organizational life or personal life can learn how to do this stuff and succeed in getting beyond the clunkiness of organizational life. Well, so you are, are my favorite professor at Cornell, and I think the audience now knows why. So yeah. thank you for coming. We really appreciate having you. Well, I, I, I think you have a very skewed distribution, but I appreciate the compliments. <laughs> thank you very kindly for thinking of me. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, and everybody, you can tweet at Sam at Samuel Backrack. Um, at Samuel Backrack, and then it's samuelbackrack.com is the website, and I went to it. Everything's there, and please go out and get his books as well. And for the Manage Smarter podcast, Sam, send this to all your stakeholders. Convince people to uh, listen, and we'll get more downloads, and everybody tell a friend. And all the back episodes at managesmarter.com, and we would like to mention we are on the C-Suite Radio Network, and that's very important for a lot of Sam's um, readers and uh, former students like Lee. Uh, so this is great. Sam, thanks for your time today. Thank we really you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.